time for another edition of Five Star Reviews, where myself, Lorca Mullen, and my co-hosts... Simon Cross. ...discuss every match in chronological order, as long as we can get to see a full viewing of it, that Dave Meltzer, over the years, has given a five-star review to. And then at the end, we're not going to give our specific uh, rating for it, but we'll see if we agree whether or not we would say it's a five-star match, however you wish to define that yourself. So, Simon, do you want to introduce the next match that we are doing? It's the first one that's an all-American affair, although not in America. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the all-Gaijin match of uh, Brody and Hans- Stan-, Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody, for those not in the know, uh, go against the uh, Funk pairing of Dory Funk Jr. and Terry Funk. Yeah, and... Um... I guess my central thesis going into this match, uh, watching it, is it's crazy, it's wild, it's a wild brawl for the most part. Um, I'm curious to see what your definitions of psychology would be, whether you think this is a match with good psychology, bad psychology, or no psychology. But mainly, what I realised whilst watching it is, I think, to that Japanese audience, what they were seeing was to them the equivalent of an American audience watching two East Asian wrestlers or whatever, taking, like, doing a sort of Bruce Lee kung fu fights. It's like the stereotypical view of Americans, almost, is what... <laughs> it was a saloon brawl. Well, well, they're all, like, outdoorsmen in their image, but different variants of it. Yeah. Uh, but, like, especially the Funks and Hanson being from Texas. I'm not sure where Bruiser Brody's from, actually. Um, but they're sort of like the cow. It's like a wild cowboy yeah. John Wayne brawl in a way. It's basically like two cowboys going against a cowboy and his mental mountain man mate yeah, that yeah, he so, found somewhere. Yeah, some guy from up in the um, uh, what's it called? Rockies. Yeah, the Colorado Rockies or um, the Appalachians. Yeah. mountains or something like that like that man bites into salmon as it comes out of the river like that kind of like image that he's, that's he's conveying doesn't even bother with a spear he just goes that's a waste of wood spear I've got a mouth sticks Catch his it. head in the <laughs> sticks his head in the water um did you like this match uh I did I did I, I want to sort of sort of intertwine with your point that you were raising there that this is a very different type of match from the ones we've covered thus far and it's interesting that um, all of them are in Japan. So it's uh, it's interesting to see like an American sort of style. Because it is, a, for all intents and purposes, this is a saloon brawl. Like all and all out saloon brawl, basically. Mm. Uh, whereas we've seen very technical, very shoot heavy matches in what we've reviewed thus far. I, I just, there, is, there was just, a lot of chaos at the end of the Dynamite Tiger Mask match. Yeah, but sort of like... It's different though, in a way. It's not like um, this felt very like like a much like a western. Whereas uh, Tiger Mask Dynamite Kid's a bit like like when you see a press card. Like I don't want to like hark to Khabib McGregor post uh, pre pre fight when they're like trying to like be having to be pulled apart and things like that. You know what I mean? It's very much like sporting chaos. Whereas mm. this is like brawling chaos. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then it gets even more chaotic towards the end. Um, but the, like I said, you can kind of define the characters of everyone in the match. Like, the way I would describe it is Dory Funk Jr. is kind of like the sheriff. Trying to bring yeah. order to everything. <laughs> like wrestling moves. Yeah, Stan Hansen is the black hat uh, cowboy that's rolled into town. That's causing trouble that Dory's trying to sort out. Terry Funk is the sheriff's uh, misbehaving drunk brother. 
who yeah. never able to hold down a role as deputy or anything like that. <laughs> he's Bruiser got Brody's the badge. Like hired, Bruiser Brody's kind of like a hired gun working for the gunslinger or something. I don't think Bruiser Brody was paid. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think. That, again, I just think he's, he's like paid him punches. I think he went into town one day and was mocked for like looking a bit dishevelled. And when he heard the blackout was going to cause like. Uh, Right, stir some shit up. He's like, well, I'm down for that. It's like, do you need money? No, nah, I'm just doing it for the crack. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying about Dory Funk seems to be the one person trying to keep things in order, trying to actually yeah. wrestle. Yeah. He's, he tries to do all these sort of forearm uppercuts and double underhook suplexes and Stan Hansen's having none of it. <laughs> and then, it's just like, I'm just going to twat you in the mouth. And Brody's just trying to boot everyone in, in close proximity to him. And Terry Funk's just all over the place. God, his, his selling is really good as Terry's, I think. Like, he does the whole like sort of punch, drunk, wobbly leg, spaghetti leg man. I think at one point, I might be I might be misremembering it, he's sort of leaning in desperately for a tag to the point that he accidentally falls into the ring. He like goes over the top <laughs> or something. I might be misremembering that, but it's like he would lean so far over for a tag, which is great in itself. Yeah. And that's also one thing I want to big up right now. Well, something I really love about looking back at old 80s in particular and early 90s All Japan shows. I love the ring design. I was saying how I quite liked the blue and orange look in the UWF match. I mm. really like the red and blue split down the middle on a diagonal line. Which is an aesthetic that uh, Will Ospreay has copied with his promotion that's sort of modelled on Japanese wrestling. Can't remember what he's called that now off the top of my head. Um, but I just really like that colour scheme. And it also, I think it works beautifully within tag team psychology because they'll always say, look at them cutting the ring, the in, ring half, in half. And, and you can see the halves. You see what the halves are. Yeah. You can see what's like home field advantage. You know, when it's the red corner, you see what's the red corner. And and vice versa, you know. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great touch, and um, we do see a lot of ring generalship in this because um, Brody and Hanson effectively isolate the Funks. Like, yeah, they work the heels of sorts. Yeah, I mean, it's not. There's no like great babyface heel thing. I've. It is just four dudes just wailing on each other. Mm. Um, you know, what I mean, like, there's no, there's no like heel. Like, not a lot of heelish stuff being conveyed in that sense. And maybe that's a little bit missing from the psychology. I, I don't... Well, that's what I'm asking. Like, do you think... Is, is Terry Funk overselling at some points? Is Stan Hansen in particular underselling at some points? Like, he was very reluctant to take a bump or to go down onto... Uh, like, he would be hit and then he'd go to a knee or he'd be knocked woozy. But he very rarely would actually take like a flat back bump off of something, unless it was like a suplex or uh, something like that. Yeah, you've got no real alternative there. Um, I think Stan maybe could have sold a little bit more, uh, although I get, I get what he might have been going for by not doing, because I think those two were like meant to be like the unstoppable force, whereas the Funks were trying to be the immovable object through like heart and desire. Mm. Uh, more than anything else, because they're they seem like they were portrayed as the underdogs in the match. That, that's well, the... I guess it's because Hanson and Brody had a size advantage on them. Like, the Funks weren't small guys, but they were no. about six foot two thirty, whereas Hanson and Brody are like six four two sixty two seventy. Yeah, and ten pounds of that is Brody's beard. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think Just... of Bruiser Brody? How much of him have you seen? 
Because we, we uh, listed him as like one of the great um, brawlers, I think. Well we, well, we listed Stan Hansen as one of the great foreign menaces. Yeah. I think. Um, I've seen clips of Brody. I think um, I put them down as one of our great superstar tag teams, Brody and yeah. Hansen. I, f- I think we did. I would say um, I've seen clips of him. I saw the one, the, the famous Lex Luger one, where <laughs> he's just not cooperating at all with Lex. Bill Alfonso, <laughs> the referee in that match. He just turns to him and goes, what do I do? And he's like, I don't bloody know. It's like, don't expect me to have an answer here, mate. Just run. Somehow we got DQ'd in a cage match. I remember that's how I tried and got out of it. But uh, but they're just bits of him just like brawling, smashing stuff up, basically. It's... Oh, I don't want to... Could he have been a great Hulk Hogan villain? Yes. Yes, he could have. Quite if easily. he would have been willing to lose to him. That, part, that might have been part of the problem, but for the right price. But no, he could have been because he's got... I think he was taller than Hulk, wasn't he? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, and like to Hulk, for, Hulk... There's two types of opponent Hulk Hogan needs. Conniving heels and monster heels. So your monster heels, you've got your bit like Yokozuna for the size advantage. Uh, evil Andre. Um... Broza Brody would have been like, you know, he he looks, he had the frame to mm. fill that. That's before we get to how well he played the character. Quite how the wild man thing would have worked in WWF when he probably would have been told to, like, maybe not wail on some kids with his chain on the way in. Well, they would have probably tried to do the Berserker gimmick with him. Although I know that Jim Nord already did it as, like, a Viking, Jim Nord the Viking, but so much of his look and gimmick was inspired by Bruiser Brody, the furry boots and everything. Yeah. Um, but they would have, like... Because, like, also, my first exposure to Stan Hansen was seeing him in a Hulk Hogan compilation videotape in the early 90s where they included the match that Hogan had with him at the Tokyo Dome. Oh, okay. It's really one of the most interesting Hulk Hogan matches you can watch because he's working that Japanese style that he would do where there would be more um, mat wrestling and he would, the, the brawl was... And they had a chaotic brawl, and Stan Hansen was giving as good as he took, and it wasn't the Hulk Hogan hulking up as much anymore. And, like, he puts him with the axe bomber, and uh, Hansen barely stays down for the three and everything. And it seemed like like the toughest fight I'd ever seen Hulk Hogan have as a kid. Sort of like Hulk Hogan got Hulk Hogan, in a way. Yeah, he was bloodied, he was battered all over the place. Stan Hansen dished it out, you know, partly because he was blind, so he was just flailing his arms at whatever <laughs> moved, you know. And partly because he was a double hard bastard. Yeah, yeah, and he was like, and he was such a phenomenon in Japan, and like, the, to be hit with a bull rope by him as he made his entrance was like a, a great badge, badge of, of honour for a fan. Yeah, it's like, the, I think the chain with Brody was the same, wasn't it, when he started like... Really, this, because, like, Hanson, Brody, and Jimmy Snooker moving from New Japan to All Japan maybe a year or so before this, I think, was, like, one of the biggest moments in Japanese wrestling. This was, like, the equivalent of the Japanese Monday Night Wars. And um, and that was, like, the biggest heel of New Japan. Like National The biggest gaijin of New Japan. Yeah, like, Lash- Na- exactly like that. And they'd, like, finished their New Japan tour, stayed in Japan secretly, and then the next day attacked Giant Baba, at the uh, the big all Japan show, and it was n- not it was news to New Japan. It was news to everyone, 
And, Apart from John Papa. <laughs> and, and that was where Stan Hansen stayed for the rest of his career for the next 14 or so years. And he really did have this structure of he was the top guy, Jin, and he would tag with someone else. It was Brody, and then it was Ted DiBiase, and later on it was Ted DiBiase again. And it was other figures like Johnny Ace and uh, Vader, when Vader turned up, him and Stan Hansen tagged up. And he was also like the final, like he was almost the final boss for when Misawa, Kawada, and Kabashi were trying to make their step up to the main event. So he was such—he was the gatekeeper. He was such a significant figure. The Funks were a very important figure in the seventies and early eighties for all Japan. But like Terry Funk did one of his first retirements, I think towards the end of this tour or something, and that was where the famous "Forever, Forever." speech happened uh, that's used like uh, Rocky Romero referenced it when he was part of Forever Hooligans and <laughs> he was in the Beyond the Mat documentary and all that sort of stuff oh Terry one day you'll retire and it's I... interesting when he gets tagged into the match that the crowd that that provokes a reaction just him getting involved yeah he seemed to be the most over of all the four guys in that match yeah and it like he sort of it's beautiful in a way um, towards the end when it seems like the the odds are insurmountable and like the bro and the Brody Hanson pair are now using like the table, um, you know that the the match is falling apart. The the crowd reaction when Terry's just like right this what what we're doing now the rules none of that's working. Yeah. I'm just gonna get a chain and I'm just gonna lamp everyone, <laughs> everyone so in sight. So the whole concept of the match, I think, even though there are some heat segments on both funks, it doesn't have that sort of hot tag structure, really. No. When when Funk does tag in Dory, when Terry does fa- tag in Dory, 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 Dory gets in, battered as well. Yeah, they, there isn't some great... It's not like Ricky Morton getting Robert Gibson in and Robert Gibson being all fired up and taking and just out. And like sipping about the shop. Members. It's just like, okay, yeah. And um, and it's a lot more back and forth. Like, the no one really dominates that much. Or when they are dominating that one person, that one person will still be getting hits in every time. Yeah. And they're fighting over everything. They fight over suplexes. Tan, uh, t- I think um, Brody has Terry Funk up for a pile driver at one point. And he's just holding up, and Terry Funk just basically trying to kick himself off of the pile driver yeah. for ages until Brody sits down, and it looks fucking dangerous the way he does it. <laughs> just, just goes, doesn't it? It's not like a controlled fall. He no. just seems to like collapse. Well, I think basically what they try and do in that moment is he kind of tries to sit down and sort of almost pull Terry up, as it were, so that the key is to always make your ass. And the bottom of your your legs take the impact, and all that yeah. really jolts is their their sort of shoulders. Shoulders, yeah. But it's such a dangerous move to do, you know. I, I'm kind of amazed that it was so prevalent for so long, you know. It's, it was everywhere, wasn't yeah. it? I mean, the amount of times I've gone, well, what? That, that's half the move set in some of the uh, matches we've already discussed. It's yeah. it's mental to think, considering how like revered and preserved it is now, especially like the main on main tv yeah um i don't i can't speak for the indies they might be popping them off ten a penny there and some of the ones well, we can't see to be honest the, the only pile driver i know of that's used with great regularity is the canadian destroyer which is the sort of silly over the top <sighs> flip version of it yeah and even that's getting overused now a bit. there are head drop moves there are too many of them but they're really suplexes for the most part now 
Yeah. Like, when the pile driver is used, it's like a big fucking deal. Like, when Punk used it on uh, CM, uh, CM Punk used it on John Cena. In that um, Raw match. That's, which is one of my favourite moments ever, because Jerry Lawler just instinctively calls it, and of course, Jerry Lawler was the man who, yeah. who you know, Pop was one of the great pile drivers of all time, in more ways than one, I'm sure. And... Um, but yeah, let's get back to the match. We keep trying to, we keep going uh, off uh, on tangents and that. But do oh, you think, never. Do you think that back and forth is it bad psychology because they're not selling that much, or is it good psychology because it feels like a fight? Yeah, um, they. It's good if you lean into the fight aspect of it. If you trying to make it conventional wrestling match and you've got the back and forth, it wouldn't have like gelled quite as well. Because what they did is lean. They really just like had this bar fight thing and they leant into it. They steered into not the skid because it's not necessarily the wrong thing to do. But if you're if you're doing something, take the ball and run with it. And that's what they did with this back and forth stuff because. Fights by their very nature. It's not like one guy gets all of his moves in and then another guy gets all of his moves in. Like, it doesn't... Well, it's either one-sided or it's very back and forth. It's very... Yeah, it's either totally one-sided. It's either squash match or 50-50. Like, like Khabib against Conor McGregor or something like that, <laughs> you know? Ah, oh, see. Uh, again, just like... Because that... People like the chaos. People like seeing the back and forth. The back and forth fights in all forms of... Uh, sport are the ones that people like remember people remember them like those no selling segments where people would just like pop from one move to another back to each other but also to make a counter argument it's not like all the american matches that follow the american psychology of the heat you know the, the baby face uh, at the start getting fire the 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 heel cutting them off and then dominating the middle portion and then the big comeback that is a form of back and forth especially yeah. in the finishing straights There'll be oh, like yeah. one one close four, the other close four, especially nowadays in the modern context. Yeah. So it's not like there isn't back and forth, but the back and forth is more segmented. Yes. Whereas, Whereas... this was really wasn't, and I I enjoyed it. I actually enjoy. I really enjoyed this match. Mm. Um, what do you think of the non-finish? So the it... ref misses Terry making a tag. But Terry's like, "Fuck it, I'm getting involved now." And yeah. Then Stan Hansen sort of shoulder tackles. Funk, but also takes the ref out while doing that. The brawl starts getting more chaotic. The tables and chains get involved. The ref tries to bring order, so Terry Funk just starts beating the piss out of him, which is not a very babyface thing to do. <laughs> but there we go. And then they just fight and fight and fight until the, they're separated. And there's an the- amazing moment towards the end of it where Brody and Hanson are, are walking off. And then just suddenly you hear the crowd reacting. So obviously someone's coming. Hanson sees Terry Funk coming and just backdrops him over <laughs> as he comes charging at him. That was my favourite moment. <laughs> I, I liked... Uh, yeah, it just the brawl aspect of it. It's, I love the chaos. It's... um. I, I like the finish in a sense because it made sense in the context of the match. You know, when you see non-finishes, it's usually like, oh, they're protecting someone, or oh, they couldn't decide Definitely which way they want to go. Back in those days, yeah. Whereas this, it felt like, oh, it's just kicked off. Like we can't contain these dudes. But There's that no, was like... still a that was still a political thing. Like Bruiser Brody was notorious for not wanting to job to anyone particularly. Yeah, yeah, that know? would have been and, like, the pretty much all of his matches with Abdullah the Butcher would end this way. Um, you know, or, or and, and and like that was the common practice in these times. This is this was during the Real World Tag League, uh, which is which was at that time probably all Japan's biggest event with the Champion Carnival. 
um, more press. Well, the, there was no definitive title at that point. Those would come in the late eighties. But this was really towards the end of Giant Baba deciding that these this tradition of non-finishes and count-out finishes and DQ finishes, which both New Japan and All Japan were doing, had to come to an end. And Giant Baba really sort of mandated pinfall submission finishes from here on in very soon after this. And I think, like... And that's reflected, like, with Dave Meltzer. Like, I think this might be coming towards... It might be the last one... That like with the Dynamite Kid Tiger Mask that he gives five stars to something that doesn't really have a finish, yeah. no definitive end to it, no pinfall or submission. If you're gonna do a non-finish, you've got to make it. Oh, because obviously the premise is protection. That's the booking decision behind it. But mm. you can't make it look like that. And this definitely didn't look like that. This just looked like chaos that had ensued. Sometimes with the double finish, it's just painfully obvious. Um, double count outs are notorious notorious for this. Where you'll see that people brawl, and when someone like hits like a big move at seven, it's like, oh, okay, we know what's happening here, because mm. he's not going to get up back into the ring in time, and now that dude, he's the recipient's not, obviously not going to get up in time, kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like some some like non finishes look really like they are telegraphing what they're doing. This like, didn't feel like that. Or, or when it's just the case they didn't want either person to lose. So they sort of book their way out of it to the frustration. Well, a good example actually uh, in in 2018 was the um, Hell in a Cell Braun Strowman Roman Reigns match, where suddenly they needed both of them to be strong because they got Brock Lesnar to do Crown Jewel. So they gave a non finish to a Hell in a Cell, in a cell match. match, which sh- can't happen. Yeah, it's, it's quite it's very. And the problem with that is if they'd not wanted to finish, then you don't book a Hell in a Cell, but they have that annual fixture of the Hell in a Cell Hell match. Cell. Another they reason why. a Cell match, even though they don't necessarily work within the context of that match. Like, you know, if you look at that event, the match that should have maybe had a Hell in a Cell was maybe Becky Lynch against Charlotte, but they didn't want yes. to give it to that. Or or AJ Styles against Samoa Joe, but they didn't want yes. to give it to that. Yeah, that made very little sense. Um, I can't even remember what other matches there were. Oh, yeah, Orton Hardy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was that weird... semi made sense, but that was just like, oh, let's give Jeff a big climbing frame. What yeah, anything else? Yeah. So I don't know why we need to go into WWE bashing. We don't need to do that. Um, no. Is there anything left for you to say about this? I think I've gone through all my notes. I think I've covered it all, really. Um, oh, um, I did like the, the way the, the table was used just as a weapon, not as like a prop for a spot. Yeah, is what they become. Partly because everyone knows those Japanese tables, they ain't breaking for nobody. Nope. So let's just drop it on one of them a couple of times. It's, yeah, again, um, that's something that always takes away, I think, from like a big brawl is when they spend ages setting up a table and whatnot. If you've got something big and you're that pissed off at a dude, Ladies. you're just going to nail, nail him with it. Like, I'm not going to fanny about putting up like the legs. I'm just going to wail on him with it until it breaks or until he breaks, whatever happens first. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting, actually. I guess it's like, because in all Japan, they don't really do angles and interviews. It was almost like it was a match and an angle. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. It was very... Um, I think that's just our, how we're trained to think about non-finished matches. I think with some of them, we are, some of them just are angles. Some matches themselves are full angles. Um, like you look at... Uh, John Cena versus John Laurinaitis. That was more an angle than it John was a match. You versus John Laurinaitis. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not setting your homework. Don't don't worry. 
<laughs> but you know what I mean, though? Like, some yeah. things aren't in place to give us, like, a clean winner or loser or even be about wrestling. Some matches aren't even about wrestling at all. Mm. It's just about advancing a storyline and using a match as a prop mm. more so than you would with a normal match. Yeah. So, would you give this match five stars? No. But I did really enjoy it. It's the one I've enjoyed to watch the most so far. Uh, I would agree that no, I wouldn't, but I enjoyed it a lot. I don't know if it's the most I've enjoyed. I've enjoyed them all for different reasons. Mm. Well, I uh, definitely yeah, haven't we've, that. We've that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's it for this episode. Um, next, we will be reviewing another All Japan match, and it will be the debut of a man that will be a mainstay for this show as Tiger Mask 2 the second ver- version of the gimmick, later to be rechristened by his real name, Mitsuhara Masawa, challenges for the NWA International Junior Heavyweight Championship at the Budokan Hall against Konyaki Kobayashi. So that is where we're going. Simon did something that I'm not going to... Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to even allude to what it was. It was highly inappropriate. <laughs> no, it wasn't that bad. Um... I was thinking it could have been much worse now. Um, but if people want to get in touch with me, it's Lorcan Mullen, L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for Apple, N for Norbit. That is my email address. If you put an at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Letterboxd, if you want to see my movie tastes, all that sort of things. Simon, how about you? Uh, you can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm so known there as Simon Cross Free. Uh, so known because I have had three glasses of orange juice today. That's the, one of the lamest ones I've ever done. But you it's also paid... a lot if you're going to keep this gimmick up this year. So, <laughs> but it's that one's actually sadly painful. You got yeah. you got a cold as well. Uh, no, no, just no, just I'm mad for the OJ. We have a show email address of lmtyspod at gmail We'll be back in a couple of days' time, like I said, with Tiger Mask 2 versus Kanyaki Kobayashi. But until then, thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. <laughs>